Chapter 23 The five rode undaunted through the open Pictland Valley, Aidan with Chorich and Arabella with Kenneth. Ronan rode solo. The noon air was moist, and the sun slept behind the clouds as the group moved toward Renton. You doing all right? Chorich called back to Aidan. Besides having to hold you close I'm doing fine, he replied. Ronan, riding beside the two, snickered aloud. Hold your laughter, Ronan, Chorich said. You get him next. He doesn't want to hold me close, I assure you. A cool wind blew against their faces. They were glad to be heading home, even if it meant having to fight. We lost a lot of time back at the lock, Ronan said. Think we'll make it home by sundown. Chorich eyed the lofted ridge lines bounding the five on either side. The horses aren't as fast riding double, and we've got a lot of valley ahead. But if we stay clear of the forest, I'd say we'll make it home before the sun sets. Lord Halfton, the Viking scout called as he approached the advancing horde, I have news. The scout slowed and rode his horse alongside Halfton and Codron. What have you found? Halfton barked. From the ridge ahead, I spotted three horses. Picts. I don't think so, they appear to be Scots. They're heading west. Two horses had double riders. And one of them looks to be a girl. Ha, Halfton laughed. Angus must have never found his lassie. Serves him right. But sir, that's not all. If my eyes weren't fooling me, I would swear one of the riders was Kenneth. He was riding double with the girl. I'll be damned. The little bastard went straight to Perth and somehow found his darling, Arabella, Halfton mocked and peered at Codron. Codron smirked and shook his head. How far are they? Halfton asked the scout. Maybe an hour, and with only three horses, they weren't moving quickly. Lead the way, Halfton replied, and he turned and glared at Codron. I want them dead, and Angus next. How long until we hear from Luog's men? Lathan asked, riding next to Alpin. Alpin glimpsed back at Luog and Constantine riding several paces behind. We are expecting a scout to report back shortly after noon, with or without news of the Vikings. We should hear something soon. If we don't find the enemy, how long do we ride before heading back to Renton? I don't like that we left the village unprotected. We had no choice, Lathan. We know the Vikings are out here. And we know they're heading east. Once we find them, we'll set our ambush. Alpin glanced at Lathan. How are your men? Ready to fight, Lathan replied. And their longbows. Very ready. Lord Angus, Diort said anxiously, hurrying into the large picked hall. Diort, Angus replied as he sat molded to his cushioned chair, staring out a tall narrow window. I hope you've come to tell me that you've found Aidan and our lovely Arabella. No, my lord. Our patrols have found no sign of them, but... But what? I want them found. And now? Lord Angus, please, there is something more urgent that I must tell you. A boy from a small village northeast of Loch Lomond claims he saw an army of men riding east towards Perth. A messenger just arrived with the news. Angus leapt from his seat, an army, coming north of Loch Lomond to Perth, Halfton. 
Curse the savage. He's coming here and bringing his army of animals with him, the words spewed from Angus' lips as he tried to sort his thoughts. He clasped his hands and strode across the room. He's not wasting any time in making good on his threats, he murmured to himself. Angus thought a moment longer and then shot a furtive glance toward Diort, prepare your men. They are prepared, my lord. Well done, Diort, Angus said, relishing his newly conceived plan with a sinister sneer. We leave at once. Here come the pathetic fools now. Look at them, they have no idea, Halfton grunted, sitting high on his horse in the shadows of Tory Forest. Let them draw a little closer. Halfton turned to his left and spoke with a calm, casual demeanor, Jorand, I know you're set on killing our friend, Kenneth. I insist you make sure I'm there to enjoy his miserable death, I will not miss it. Codron leaned forward and eyed Jorand. If you reach him first, make sure I'm there to see it too. Joran's brow furrowed, and then a scowl formed on his face. He stared in a trance at the oncoming riders, watching, hungry for a kill. His eyes locked on Kenneth like a hawk on a rat. I'll make sure you're there, he muttered. Chorich, do you have any venison in your food sack? Aidan asked. The apple was good, but apples alone can keep a fellow hungry. Sounds like Pictland didn't ruin your appetite. You were probably getting fat eating from Angus' table. I don't have any venison, but I can take you back to Perth and we can ask the Picts. On second thought, I'll wait until we get home, Aidan replied. I'm looking forward to mother's mutton potato stew. Don't talk about that, Chorich groaned. You're making me hungry now. Men, our moment has arrived. The fools are riding straight into our hands, Halfton mused. Codron, Jorand, split your men and surround them. No one is to escape. The two nodded in unison, and broke from Halfton. Within moments, Tory forest erupted under the thunder of hooves. The trees moved and swayed a hundred yards ahead. Ronan rubbed his eyes and looked again. What is that? He shouted and pointed at the forest. No, no. Kenneth yelled, seeing a sight he refused to believe, the sight of the Viking horde emerging from the timberline like a herd of wild beasts. Arabella shrilled in terror, nearly bursting Kenneth's eardrums. She lowered behind Kenneth and clutched his torso. Turn the horses. We'll return the way we came. Split up if you have to, Chorich shouted. The three spun their horses, snapping their reins and spurring the animals in retreat through the valley. We've got to find a gap in the ridge, we'll never outrun them. There, up ahead, we passed the gap earlier, Kenneth shouted. It's too far, we won't make it, Ronan replied. Ronan, ride ahead. We'll come behind you, Chorich yelled. Ronan lowered on his horse and kicked his heels into its ribs. The animal pulled away, and he raced toward the gap in the ridgeline. The roar of the Viking horses loudened. Aidan peered back at the horde and recognized Codron's face as the Viking warrior drew nearer, with an army of riders behind him. This isn't good, Chorich, Aidan said. If we don't make the gap, I want the crossbow. I aim to kill as many of those bastards as I can before I go. You're not going anywhere, Aidan. We'll make it through this. I'll see to that. The rumble of the advancing riders shook Arabella's insides.
Instinctively, she pressed herself against Kenneth and buried her face in his back, praying the five would survive the ambush. Then she mustered her courage and pried open her eyes. Kenneth? she exclaimed. Kenneth glanced to his right and glimpsed the bobbing snout of a Viking horse, not twenty feet away. Kenneth snapped his reins, hoping to pull ahead. But the Vikings kept coming. Chorich eyed Ronan as his friend raced ahead in the distance and drew within sixty strides from the small gap in the ridge. Then Chorich glanced at Kenneth. The two were side by side, yet on the far side of his brother the Vikings were pulling ahead and passing him, heading for Ronan and the only way out. Go, Ronan, go! Chorich shouted. Chorich slapped his horse, willing the creature forward. But the animal refused. Insistent, Chorich jammed his feet into the side of the beast, demanding more, yet the horse had none to give and Chorich knew it. He could only watch as his friend disappeared through the distant gap, with three Vikings vanishing behind him. A dozen more Vikings funneled toward the gap. Reaching the opening, they stopped and turned their horses to form a wall and seal its entrance. There was no escape. Both Kenneth's and Chorich's horses slowed. The creatures moved in a spent, dispirited trot, as if they knew their fate, as if they accepted it. Chorich jumped to the ground and drew his sword. Aidan slid off behind him and grabbed the crossbow. Kenneth stopped his horse beside Chorich's and dismounted. He reached for Arabella, pulled her down, and pinned her between him and the horse. Don't move, he said to her, and he turned and brandished his sword. Kodron savored the moment, sitting on his steed thirty feet from Chorich and Aidan, with half an army mounted behind him. On the far side of the four Scots, Jorand and his men had already dismounted. They paced the ground and formed an arc, closing off any path of escape for Kenneth and Arabella. Jorand glared at Kenneth with a lust for blood. Halfton trotted his stallion through the sea of men while a path formed to clear his way. He stopped and gazed down at the Scots. Then he smiled. You boys have been busy. And you have been bad. I don't like that, he said, and his smile faded into a scowl. And you Kenneth, won't you please die? I grow so tired of you. You made Joran very angry with your mischief at the fort, the fort you and your beloved Durell worked so hard to build. I'm disappointed. Kenneth secured Arabella behind him and waved his sword. Sorry to disappoint you, Halfton. I'm sure you are. Soon, you'll be very sorry, Halfton replied. Now let's see, I've met your lovely lady friend before, so nice to see you again, Arabella, but I haven't had the pleasure of meeting your other friends. Wait, I do recognize the one with the bandages. Yes, that's right, he was the badly burned one that we took from Renton when we destroyed your village. Halfton peered at Codron, I thought he was dead. Isn't that what I was told? He went over the cliff with one of my men. He's supposed to be dead, I can make it happen, Codron replied. Oh, patience, patience, Codron. In due time. Halfton returned his gaze to Kenneth, so, I know the three of you, who's the fourth one at our little party. He's my brother. Chorich, son of Alpin. I've been waiting for the day I'd meet you, Chorich said, and he took a step forward. Ah. Chorich, son of Alpin. That's got a nice ring to it, Halfton mocked. Are you the roach that scurried into my home and decided to release all the other little roaches? I burned your fort to the ground, 
if that's what you mean. Good to know, all the more pleasure I'll have when I watch you die, Halfton sneered. Then he glanced ahead at his men guarding the gap in the ridge. And the other rider, the one my men are hunting as we speak, is this yet another, son of Alpin. Ronan, son of Luog, Chorich replied. And you'll need more men if you plan on hunting him down. We'll see about that. Vikings make fairly good hunters, especially when hunting human prey, Halfton scoffed. He glanced at Kodran and then at Jorand. I believe we've had our share of pleasantry here, let's have some sport. Stay behind me, Arabella, Kenneth whispered. If I go down, take the horse and head to the gap. Arabella placed her hands on his waist. If I die, I'm dying here, with you, she whispered. Jorand, and his men approached. Kenneth lifted his sword. Take as many as you can with the bow, Aiden. We're not going down without a fight. Chorich exclaimed. Kodran and four others moved toward the two. Just say when, Aiden replied. Now. The arrow released like a lightning bolt and buried itself into Viking flesh. The man dropped like a rock, and Aiden hurried to reload the bow. Chorich slapped his horse hard, and the animal reared on its haunches and released a shrilling cry. It came down in a clamor, turning and bucking through the Vikings. Kodran leapt sideways to avoid the beast and reflexed to a striking position, swiveling his sword and sizing Chorich. Aiden shot again and dropped a second Viking. I want a piece of you, you little runt, Jorand grunted. He lifted his double-bladed axe and eyed Kenneth. Then he came fast. Kenneth clutched his sword in his hands and lifted it overhead. Joran's axe crashed down, and collided against Kenneth's blade. The blow hit hard, stunning Kenneth and knocking him to the ground. Instantly, he rolled and jumped to his feet. With the big man looming, Kenneth flicked his sword side to side, working to lure Joran away from Arabella. If you want me, you bastard, then come and get me. Joran growled and swung his axe again, shredding the air in front of Kenneth's nose. Suddenly, a loud guttural cry echoed from the gap in the ridge. Every man turned. In a blink, Ronan's horse burst from the gap and charged the Viking blockade. He careened against the wall of beasts and wedged a hole large enough to escape. Once free, Ronan steered his horse toward the mass of animals and men in the distance and targeted the man sitting high on his steed, Halfton. Like a deranged killer, Ronan raised his blood-tipped sword into the air and rode headlong with the rage of a madman. Stop him! Halfton shouted, and he reached for his sword. Kodran rammed his shoulder into Chorich, knocked him backwards, and continued his run to intercept Ronan's oncoming horse. When he reached the spot he was looking for, he stopped. He tightened his grip on his sword and waited for the horse and its rider. As the horse advanced, Jorand left Kenneth and dashed toward the animal. He didn't wait for Kodran to make his play, he would have the honor of dropping the horse and its lunatic rider. Jorand lifted his heavy axe and hurled it at the animal. The weapon lumbered through the air as if waiting for the horse to arrive. In an instant, the two moving objects collided, and the axe lodged into the front shoulder of the beast, missing Ronan's leg by inches. The horse whinnied and veered sideways before collapsing. Ronan tried to separate from the animal but the ground came too quickly. The horse landed with a thud, wedging Ronan's leg beneath its frame. Halfton lifted his sword high above his head. 
I want them dead. All of them. Dead. For a moment, time stood still. Before the Viking army could prepare its strike, something in the valley changed. A shadow from heaven crept over from above. The whisper of arrows filled the air, and the sky darkened as though a thousand birds had lofted into flight. The Viking warriors lifted their eyes and a rain of Dalryadan arrows poured down upon them like a deadly ocean wave. Halfton could only watch as the torrent of arrows fell and found his men. Dozens stumbled and collapsed to the ground. Halfton surveyed the high ridgeline bounding the southern edge of the valley. A multitude of Dalryadan archers lined the ridge, sending down their iron-tipped killers unimpeded. The arrows had fallen fifty feet from where Halfton stood. The gap in the ridge had stopped the archers from getting close enough to reach him. He watched as a second volley of arrows rose and fell over his men. Without warning, a battle cry broke out from the southwest floor of the valley. The cry was loud and angry. Halfton twisted on his heels and gazed at the sight, an army of Scots stampeding forward like the hounds of hell. Halfton called to his gods of war and cursed the god of heaven. The Scot attack was coming from above and below, enveloping the Vikings where they stood. The Vikings were left reeling, and their casualties grew countless. Those still standing mounted their horses, some rode to battle, some rode to retreat. Angus trotted his horse to the edge of the ridge and stopped beside Diort. The two sat horseback with a half-dozen picked soldiers on either side. Angus stared long, surveying the calamity in the valley below. What have we here, Diort? Lord Angus, the Scots attack from two fronts, their archers from the opposing ridge and their horsemen from the south. Your orders, sir? Diort asked, awaiting Angus' command. Angus watched the battle rage from the security of the ridgeline. He found no displeasure in what he saw. We'll let them fight themselves until both are weak. If the Vikings look to have the upper hand, then we attack. And we rid the earth of them. He rubbed his chin in thought before continuing, our aid to the Scots would then end the battle, making us the hero and, indebting them, if you will. And if the Scots are the last standing. Alpin is a stubborn fool, and I'm not certain his men have the heart, Diort, Angus said. But should they make me a liar, I will grant them mercy on this day. And when the Scots see my mercy, then all the more will they be swayed, and inclined to embrace the goodness of my hand. Very wise, my lord, Diort said with a nod. That, Diort, is how kingdoms are built, Angus said. He chuckled to himself and mused over the battle below. Ronan struggled to free his trapped leg, still wedged beneath his horse. A husky, barrel-chested Viking caught sight of him and rushed at him with an axe leveled in the air above his helmet. Ronan glanced at his fallen sword. Its handle lay just beyond his reach. The tips of his fingers crawled forward, inching toward the weapon, yet to no avail. He squirmed and fought to extend his arm. The Viking closed. Ronan, Look out Chorich yelled and threw himself into the man's side. The man flew from his feet and toppled to the ground. Chorich lifted his sword and plunged it into the man's abdomen. Without a thought, he removed the blade and darted to Ronan. Here, I'll lift, Chorich said. Can you get loose? It's coming, I got it, thanks. Ronan rubbed his knee and stood, testing his leg for strength. You're welcome. 
Chorich turned and found another Viking. The two clashed blades and another fight began. Kenneth's eyes never left Jorand. The large Viking had dropped the horse and was moving toward Ronan and Chorich to retrieve his axe. Jorand, over here, we're not finished, Kenneth shouted. Jorand spun, glaring at Kenneth. Fire burned in his eyes, and he pulled an eight-inch knife from his belt. Kenneth lifted his sword and charged forward. The brute stood his ground and twirled his knife, waiting for Kenneth. Kenneth didn't wait. He swung his blade with deft precision, and knocked the knife from Joran's hand. Joran's head swiveled toward his double-bladed axe still buried in Ronan's dead horse. Then Joran broke for the horse. Kenneth rushed after him. Kenneth? Arabella screamed. Kenneth's head jerked, and he scanned the battlefield. Arabella cried again, and Kenneth spotted her in the clutches of a burly, muscular Viking. The man was lifting her onto a horse, and she was fighting him. Kenneth turned from Jorand, and he sprinted toward the two. The burly Viking whirled when he heard the stomping of Kenneth's footsteps. Arabella took the opening and pushed away and the Viking stumbled. Before he could right himself, Kenneth's blade sliced from overhead. The blade severed flesh and split the man's clavicle, breaking the bone in two. The Viking dropped to his knees, and a pained growl crawled from his throat. Kenneth recoiled and hammered the butt of his sword against the man's jaw. The man spiraled on his knees and fell limp to the ground. Kenneth reached for Arabella. Are you all right? He said, panting as he spoke. Yes, I'm okay. Take this horse. Ride to those two trees and stay there, Kenneth said, pointing to a pair of oaks. And do you see down there? Your father is coming with mine. Wait for them by the trees and stay out of sight. What about you, Kenneth? Arabella, you have to do this. I have to help my brothers. They need me. Now go. Kenneth pushed her up onto the horse, and she rode toward the two trees that stood like ancient witnesses to the horrific battle of life and death. Kenneth stared south for a long moment. The battle raged. The Scots warred, fighting hand to hand and blade to blade, with a thirst for Viking blood. In the middle of it all stood Halfton. He was alone, and he was staring back at Kenneth. Kenneth caught his gaze and then turned and peered back over his shoulder in search of Jorand. The large Viking loomed in the distance, hovering over Ronan's dead horse, his axe now extracted and dripping with blood. The Scot fighters progressed north along the valley floor as their longbow guardians, high on the ridge above, delivered their wooden shaft manslayers upon the thickest pockets of the enemy. The Scots reaching the front line of the fight quickly discovered that their advance had pushed them beyond the protection of their archers on the ridge. There at the front, the men showed their courage, engaging in a foray of hand-to-hand -hand combat against the fiercest of Halfton's soldiers. Codron kept watch on his prey. He surreptitiously moved towards Aidan, quietly, like a hunter, watching the young Scot expend his arrows one by one. The hunter paused. From the corner of his eye, Codron caught sight of a man disturbing his hunt. The Scot warrior rushed the Viking hunter. The warrior swung his sword. The hunter ducked. The warrior's blade sliced the empty air. Codron lifted and drove his elbow into the warrior's face, snapping the man's neck backwards and splitting his nose. Codron spun and swung his leg across the back of his attacker's knees. 
When the Scot hit the ground, Codron drove his sword through the man's ribcage, ventilating his lungs and robbing him of breath. Without pausing, Codron pressed his foot on the Scot's chest and withdrew his red blade. Codron lifted his head and returned his gaze to the young Scot with the crossbow. And the hunt continued. Aidan pulled the trigger of his bow. The arrow shot forward and found its victim. He reached for his quiver and extracted another arrow, his eyes quickly double-backed to the quiver. Last one, the voice said. Aidan's head slowly lifted. Fifteen feet separated him from the Viking hunter, Codron. Aidan fumbled to set his arrow. I should have killed you myself on that ridge. I'll make things right this time, Codron said and sneered. Aidan locked the arrow and drew back the release. In an instant, Codron's boot slammed against Aidan's hands, and the bow flew from his grip and tumbled to the ground. Aidan moved for his sword. A sudden backhand struck his bandaged face and sent him sprawling. A thousand splinters of pain flushed through his body. Get up! Codron shouted. Get up! Aidan rose to his knees. Viking! Chorich yelled. Looking for a fight. Twenty paces separated Chorich from the hunter. Codron turned. Chorich rushed forward. The gap closed. Chorich never slowed. Codron reeled and swung his sword crossways, targeting Chorich's gut. Chorich twisted his sword downward and blocked the blow. As he passed Codron, he swirled his blade and cut into the Viking's hamstring. Codron dropped to a knee. Chorich spun on his heel and kicked Codron square in the jaw. The angry Viking toppled backwards and landed prostrate on the ground. A second Viking appeared, coming from behind. It was Magnus. Chorich. Aidan shouted. Chorich turned as Magnus' dagger sliced deep across his forearm. Chorich's sword fell from his grip. The brutish Viking peered at him, and a maniacal grin slowly emerged through his heavy brown beard. Chorich's eyes twitched sideways, glancing toward a fallen Viking lying several feet to his right. Magnus inched forward, waving his dagger at the Scot, eager to cut more. Chorich leapt toward the Viking corpse and performed an acrobatic roll, grabbing a wide-bladed sword resting atop the dead man's open belly. Magnus rushed forward and Chorich drove his foot into the brute's knee, folding it backwards and snapping the joint with a loud pop. Magnus gaped at his disfigured limb. When he lifted his eyes, it was too late. In a seamless motion, Chorich's blade sliced his bearded throat, and Magnus slowly melted and sunk to the ground. Chorich gasped for breath and a sharp, pain pulsed through his shoulder. He cursed and quickly gripped his arm to stop the blood seeping from his wound. That was close, Aidan said. He stepped beside Chorich and peered down at Magnus' lifeless body. Yeah, thanks for the warning, Chorich replied, working to hide the grimace tightening across his face. Jorand held his axe low, letting its heavy head sway back and forth as he stared at Kenneth twenty feet away. I'm looking forward to this, Scott. Me too. I've been wanting you dead for a long time. Kenneth's heart thumped against his chest as he measured the big man. He'd watched him for a long time, long enough. He'd seen him fight, and he knew his tendencies, those that made him strong and those that made him weak. With his hands clutching his sword, Kenneth lifted his blade head high and pointed it at Jorand. Ah! Kenneth yelled, and he leapt forward in a fury, 
the gap quickly shrunk between David and Goliath. In a mad thrust, Joran swung his axe to displace the oncoming metal blade, he took the bait. Kenneth leaned, dipped his sword low, and shoved the cold steel blade through Joran's chest. Joran gasped. Kenneth released his sword and slowly stepped back, staring deep into the big Viking's mystified eyes. Joran lowered his head and peered down at the, the iron handle of the long blade. He grasped the sword with his hands and, inch by inch, pulled the weapon from his chest. He heaved for air. He gazed at Kenneth, and his brow slowly creased. His lips pulsed as if trying to speak, and a frothy, red saliva crept from the cracks between his teeth. Then he dropped, face first, to the ground? Kenneth wiped the sweat from his brow and bent to remove his sword from Joran's dead hands. As he lifted, he peered up at the grey sky and allowed a moment of relief to swell over him. Immediately, Arabella swept into his mind and he spun to find the two oaks. He quickly spotted the large trees and then spotted Arabella. She was standing between them, and Halfton was standing beside her, clutching her arm and pressing his sword against her midsection. The two men locked eyes. Halfton waved his sword, inviting Kenneth to come, daring him to come. Kenneth's rage trumped his cunning. Without a thought, he rushed the battlefield, straight toward his enemy. He neared and stopped ten paces from his opponent, gripping his sword in his sweaty palms. You're not getting out of here alive, Halfton. I still breathe, Scott, Halfton exclaimed brazenly. And you are hardly man enough to change that. He shoved Arabella aside, and he lifted his sword and charged Kenneth. Kenneth leapt forward and swung his weapon. The two blades clashed, and a loud clang echoed in the air. Halfton stepped back, gained his footing, and then lunged forward with a jab of his sword. Kenneth sidled left to avoid the blow and then swung his blade. The metal edge sliced across Halfton's bicep. Blood gushed from the Viking's torn flesh, reddening his sleeve and igniting his anger. Halfton lowered his chin, and licked the gash. A deranged grin appeared on his face, and he leapt forward and caught Kenneth's hip with his sword. A sharp sting shot down Kenneth's leg. Kenneth staggered backwards, waving his sword to keep his guard. He glanced at his hip, and pressed his fingers against the wound. The muscle was intact. Instantly, his eyes swept to Halfton, and the two squared off and began moving in a circle, round and round, watching and waiting for a chance to strike. Kenneth? The voice was like a memory. It had been a long time since Kenneth had heard the once familiar tone, too long. Halfton sneered, and Kenneth dared a quick glance behind him. Father! Kenneth called. Before Kenneth could close his mouth, Halfton broke into a dash and grabbed Arabella. He clutched her waist and held the tip of his blade to her throat. So the great Alpin has come to save his son, Halfton shouted, with the crazed rage of a lunatic circling in his eyes. Halfton, drop your sword, Alpin demanded. Most of your men are dead, and the others are retreating. You're outnumbered. You don't stand a chance. Your only hope is surrender. Now drop your sword. Halfton's gaze never left Kenneth, I prefer to kill the girl and your son first, then we. Thump, umph, Halfton gasped as an arrow sunk into his shoulder. He stumbled backward under the impact and fought to keep his balance. Arabella, come to me. Constantine yelled, standing behind Alpin with a spent crossbow in his hand. Arabella fled and ran to her father.
Halfton blinked several times as pain splintered across his chest. He dropped his sword and peered at Kenneth. Then, like a wild boar, he burst into a sprint and barreled into Kenneth, knocking him to the ground. He kept moving forward, rushing toward his horse thirty yards away. Kenneth jumped to his feet in pursuit. His strides were unbound and his determination unfettered. He closed quickly on the Viking. As Halfton neared his horse, Kenneth leapt and tackled him around the waist. The two hit the ground in a tangled heap. Damn you, Scott, Halfton growled. He punched Kenneth's head, and twisted to find his knife. Kenneth lifted to his knees and threw himself on top of Halfton. The two struggled several moments before Kenneth's palm brushed over Halfton's weapon. He pulled the jewel-handled blade from Halfton's belt, lifted the knife into the air, and shoved it into Halfton's chest. That's for Durrell. Without a blink, he removed the blade and jabbed it over and over into the Lord of the Vikings' helpless flesh. And that's for every other Scot you've slaughtered. The words poured from his lips in a psychotic rage with each thrust of the jewel-handled blade. Halfton stared up at Kenneth with a pale white face as blood trickled from his half-open mouth. Then his eyes turned dull and cold and slowly shut. Kenneth rose and tucked the knife into his belt, ruminating as he peered down at Halfton. The Viking lay stiff and dead. Kenneth studied Halfton's mangled torso, and his eye caught a glimmer of gold. The edge of a small, corded trinket hung from a fold, a pocket, within Halfton's dark leather garb. Kenneth stooped and lifted the trinket. Dangling from the thin black cord was a small gold cross, his cross, Chorich's gift. A sneer of satisfaction formed on Kenneth's lips as he placed the cross around his neck. He tied it slowly, staring down at the would-be Viking king. Kenneth, Alpin called. Father. Kenneth broke from his trance, half-dazed. He paused and gazed across the battlefield then turned back to his father. Have you found Chorich and Aiden? Our men have turned the battle, Chorich, Aiden shouted, pointing south across the valley. The Vikings are scattering. They're running scared. Chorich eyed the battle-bloodied wasteland. The Scots had come, and they'd come strong. Where is father, can you spot his horse? Where is Kenneth? And Ronan? I lost Kenneth the moment we dismounted. I haven't seen either one since Ronan broke through the Viking wall at the gap. Chorich glanced at his arm and clenched his teeth, grimacing in pain. Hand me your belt, Aiden, he said, and he pinched together the severed flesh on his forearm to slow the bleeding. That's bad, Chorich, Aiden said, removing his belt from his waist. Give me your arm. Chorich shoved his sword into the ground, standing it upright on its tip. He extended his arm to Aiden, and tried to keep the wound closed with his other hand. I could kill that bastard twice for slicing me open like this. Chorich gazed down at Magnus' corpse and spat. At least you killed him once, Aiden said. He took Chorich's arm and pulled his brother's sleeve over the injury. Then he cinched the belt above the area, and wrapped it down Chorich's forearm to keep pressure on the wound. Hurry, Aiden. This isn't over, and we don't need to get caught with our guard down. Almost got it. Chorich glanced south at the clusters of men still fighting, father's got to be here somewhere, Chorich winced as Aiden slipped the belt under the last loop and pulled it tight. That should do it, Aiden said. Then he peered up, and his mouth dropped open. 
Chorich saw the fright in Aiden's eyes and realized something wasn't right. Chorich's heart accelerated, and the muscles in his body constricted. I think you lost this, the voice said. Chorich slowly turned. Kodran sat on his horse, staring down at the two and holding Aiden's crossbow. He pointed the seated arrow back and forth between the brothers. One arrow, two Scots, he said, eyeing them both. I've owed you this for some time now. He pointed the bow at Aiden, and pulled the trigger. Aiden. Chorich leapt into his brother. The arrow flew fast and hard. It hit Chorich like a punch and drove deep into his chest above his heart. Chorich swayed and dropped to the ground, then eased to his backside. You lucky little bastard, Kodran said and glanced over his shoulder at a handful of approaching riders. I'll come again for you someday, he growled and hurled the bow at Aiden. Then he kicked his horse and the animal shot forward in a blur toward Tory Forest. Chorich, are you all right? Aiden yelled. He lowered to his knees and propped Chorich up. Chorich tried to speak but couldn't. His upper lip curled, and he fought to draw air in and out of his nostrils. His eyes lowered to the arrow, and he grabbed the shaft with this hand. Don't touch it, Chorich, Aiden said. Leave it. I'll get help. Then Aiden eased Chorich to the ground. Ronan sprinted to the two brothers as fast as feet could fly. What happened? Ronan exclaimed, catching his breath and staring down at Chorich. He took an arrow to the chest. It's pretty bad, it's deep. Ronan knelt beside Chorich and studied the arrow-pierced wound. Aiden, I saw Gavin with the men. I signaled him, when I saw you waving. Keep an eye out, he should be coming with help. Chorich's eyes opened. He rolled his head toward Ronan, and breathed in short shallow breaths, laboring to keep conscious. You better not die on me after all this, Ronan said and faked a grin. Shut up, Chorich muttered, then he coughed and wheezed. Easy, Chorich, easy, Ronan whispered. He's talking again, Aiden said. That's a good sign. Ronan stood and glared at Aiden, who did this. The one they call Kodron. He surprised us, and he had a crossbow. He wanted to kill me. Aiden glanced down at Chorich and then gazed at Ronan. When he shot, Chorich jumped in front. I should have guessed, Ronan muttered, shaking his head and staring down at his foolhardy friend. Where's Kodron? I've got a score to settle. Aiden pointed to the distance tree line. He rode that way, toward Tory Forest. Ronan squinted and stared into the distance. A fleeting figure retreated far away, and a small group of Viking riders joined the retreat. Ronan, Gavin shouted, tugging his reins as he reached the three. Your father is coming. What's happened to Chorich? Before Ronan could answer, he heard his father shout his name. Ronan glimpsed past Gavin to see his father riding toward him with three other Scots not far behind. He motioned frantically to his father, urging him to hurry. When Luog reached the boys, he leapt from his horse before the animal had stopped. Father, it's Chorich. He's taken an arrow. He needs help. Luog pushed the boys aside and knelt next to Chorich. Relax, son. Don't try to talk, relax. Nod your head if you can hear me. 
Chorich opened his eyes and gazed listlessly at Luog, then slowly nodded his head. You men, Luog called to two of the men arriving behind him. Find Alpin, and tell him we need Seamus. We need him now. Go? The two Scots turned their steeds and raced across the field. Father, I'm taking your horse, Ronan shouted. Gavin, come with me. Ronan had mounted before Luog could deny him. What are you doing? Ronan paused and stared at his father, I'm going to avenge Chorich. Finishing his words, he spun the horse and burst forward, with Tory Forest fixed in his sights. Damn it, take more men with you. Luog yelled as Ronan and Gavin galloped away. Tell them to meet us as we ride, Ronan yelled back, racing for the forest. Luog swore under his breath. He could only watch as the ground stretched between him and his son. He bit his lip and returned to Chorich. Tearing open Chorich's shirt, Luog exposed the bloody puncture wound with the arrow standing upright in its center. The torn skin lay severed and moist around the arrow's shaft. Luog pried open the wound and gaped into the wet hole. The arrow was deep. Aiden gazed down at his brother's wound and pulled off his shirt, ignoring the sting of his remnant burns. He unwrapped a bandage from his shoulder. I don't need this, he said, and he handed the cloth wrap to Luog. You boys are pretty beat up, Luog replied and he pressed the rag onto Chorich's wound to restrict the oozing blood. An uneasy feeling swept over Aiden. He turned and combed the battlefield for Seamus. The physician was nowhere in sight. He slowly lowered to his knees beside Chorich, watching his older brother struggle to breathe. Lifting his eyes to Luog, he spoke in a quiet voice, is he going to make it? He's a fighter, Aiden. He'll fight. Aiden lifted to his feet. Here they come. Hold on, Chorich. We'll get you home, Luog said as Chorich rested with his eyes closed. Luog wondered how Alpin would react to the sight of his son. He paused and said a prayer before standing to receive Alpin. Alpin, Constantine, and Seamus arrived and descended their horses. Kenneth, Arabella, and a dozen more riders quickly followed and dismounted behind the three. Luog stepped to Alpin. He's asking to speak to you, Luog said. Go slow with him, he's weak. Thank you, Luog, Alpin said. He peered past Luog, and his gaze settled on Chorich for a moment before shifting to Aiden. Aiden, you're alive. We had feared the worst. The Lord has been merciful. Alpin approached Aiden, and the two embraced. It's good to lay eyes on you again, son. How is your brother? Father, he's been badly hurt. He jumped in front of me, and took an arrow in the chest. He's been struggling to breathe, but he's talking now, though not much. Alpin moved to Chorich, and knelt beside his son. Seamus followed, and crouched across from him. Kenneth stepped behind his father, gazing over his father's shoulder. Alpin peered into Chorich's eyes. He composed himself and smiled. Chorich. It's over, son. The battle is over. We've rooted the Vikings. Halfton and his men are dead. It's over. A grin slowly formed on Chorich's lips. That's good, father. I knew we could do it. Constantine told me you'd left Renton, mad as hell at the Picts and determined to find Kenneth and the Vikings. 
Les said you and Ronan nearly killed Angus in his own bed, you three are brave young men to take on Perth by yourselves. Chorich's grin grew larger, and then he peered past his father toward Kenneth and managed a wink. Kenneth responded in kind. I think he ticked off the Vikings worse than the Picts. He burned their fort to the ground, Kenneth added proudly. Chorich chuckled, and then lifted his hand to his mouth to stop from coughing. Yeah, they were surprised to see us, Chorich forced out the words in a dry, raspy voice. You are a warrior, Chorich, a brave warrior. Because of your courage, your brothers are with us again. Alpin glanced up at Aidan and Kenneth before peering back at Chorich. I'm reminded of the day you three stood along the path beside the barley field. You wanted to be warriors, you wanted to be men, you were but boys. I rode that day with Droston. He told me how you've wanted to trick me and hide among the men. I wish he were here now. He'd be proud of you, Chorich, very proud. Chorich gazed up at the dull grey sky, searching the heavens with his eyes. I miss him, father. I do too, Chorich. I do too. Father, how is mother? She's well, Chorich. You'll see her soon. She misses you, you know. We'll get you home and have her prepare her finest feast. Does that sound good? Yes, that sounds, Chorich wheezed and tried to catch his breath. He coughed hard, wincing and grabbing at the arrow as he coughed. Alpin placed his hand behind Chorich's neck and helped him to sit. As Chorich lifted, he huffed and coughed again. Seamus, Alpin said, glancing at the physician. What do we need to do to help him? Let's see if he can take a drink. Seamus removed the plug from his water sack and lifted it for Chorich. Chorich eased his mouth forward, and took a sip and swallowed. That's a start, Seamus said. Let me check him. He placed his hand against Chorich's forehead. Then he pressed his fingers against Chorich's neck to find a pulse. He's cool, and he's lost a lot of blood. Let's get him a blanket. Should we remove the arrow? Kenneth asked. Seamus' head lifted, and he stared up at Kenneth. No, we don't remove the arrow. If we do, we'll rip him open and he'll bleed out. I'll have to cut into the wound to remove it, but I can't do that here. Alpin, can you have your men find a cart? We need to get him to Renton. He'll need to rest once I remove the arrow. Chorich lifted his hand and placed it on his father's shoulder. No, father. Take me to Cashel, he said, wincing as he spoke. Get a cart over here and make it quick, Alpin shouted to his men. He gazed back at Chorich, son, we need to get you home. We'll take you to your place and... No, father, please? Take me to Cashel, to Siana. I have to see her, his eyes shut and his body relaxed. Chorich. Alpin shouted. Chorich's eyes opened narrowly, and he nodded his head before lowering his chin to his chest. Alpin eased him back to the ground. Father, he wants to see Siana, Kenneth said. She's pregnant and she's at Cashel. I know, Kenneth, Alpin replied, pushing aside Chorich's hair and brushing his bangs from his eyes. We'll take him to my place, Alpin, Constantine said. He can see Siana while Seamus works on him. Then he can rest there. Alpin nodded. Very well, let's get the cart and we'll take him to Cashel. 
Luog, here comes Ronan, Constantine said, sitting horseback beside the cart. Gavin and several others are with him, Aiden added, mounted next to Constantine. The men settled Chorich inside the cart and waited for Ronan and the others to arrive. How's Chorich? Ronan called as he approached. He's stable for now, Seamus said, kneeling in the cart beside Chorich with Kenneth stooped beside him. Did you find the men you were after? Luog asked. No. They got away. We chased them to the forest and then headed deeper into the woods. That's where we lost them. It was Kodron. I think Alric and Fox were with him, Gavin said, addressing Kenneth. Damn it, Kenneth cursed. Those bastards deserve to die. How many were with this Kodron? Only two. Alpin asked from the far side of the cart. I counted nine, Ronan replied. But others may have retreated to the forest before we got there. Alpin stared at the distant forest and then turned his eyes to the darkening sky. Well, Chorich is our first concern. We've got enough angry Scots that we can send after them. Alpin peered at Kenneth, watching him see that the news of the report. Put it out of your mind, Kenneth. We'll get them in due time? Seamus tapped Kenneth's leg. Here, take this bedroll and use it as a pillow for your brother. He handed the bedroll to Kenneth. Kenneth took the roll and placed it under Chorich's head. Then he reached down to a blanket covering Chorich, and he pulled it close to Chorich's neck without disturbing the arrow. Satisfied his brother was comfortable, he jumped from the cart and stared at his father. He's ready, Kenneth said. Alpin nodded. Kenneth peered into the cart one last time. Hang in there, Chorich. We'll get you to Siana? As Kenneth stepped away, he couldn't help but notice the scars in the cart's wooden sidewall, the scars Chorich had placed there on a cold night long ago. Kenneth shut his eyes and shook his head before finally turning away. He's ready, Alpin, Seamus said. We should go? Alpin glanced at the others, you heard the doctor. Let's move out. The driver of the cart snapped the reins, and the cart rolled forward. As the cart moved from the battlefield under the cold, gloomy skies, a horn blew in the distance. It was a picked horn. It was not the horn of battle, but the horn of retreat. Alpin had heard both in his days. Halt, Alpin called out. The cart and the riders stopped. Alpin turned his horse and stared up at the distant ridge, the ridge opposite the one held by the Dalryadan archers. High on the ridge line stood an endless row of Picts mounted on horseback. They numbered more than Alpin cared to count. Kenneth watched his father gaze motionless, at his lifelong foe. Kenneth nodded to Arabella and then turned his horse from hers. He rode beside his father and stared up at the ridge. In the middle of the row, a man lifted his hand high into the air. The man extended his hand aloft for several moments and then lowered it. Alpin's eyes sat fixed on the figure. Angus, he uttered. Then he lowered his head and turned his horse. Kenneth followed. Alpin rode his horse beside the cart and lingered momentarily, then he gazed over his men. Move out, he said. We're done here. 